Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hi, so happy that you're here. We have a really special day for you. We are so excited to welcome two of our favorite people, Agent Melissa Edwards and author Sierra Godfrey. Let me just take a moment to acknowledge how wonderful the people in this room are. Melissa was there on her very first filming day with the jackhammers. Some of you remember that story, even with strep throat, I believe it was. Was that right, Melissa? Yeah, I was just like perennially ill this summer. Oh, I'm so sorry. But even with strep throat, she came, she recorded her Pueblo 101 classes in the library, and she's been a fantastic member of our faculty ever since. Melissa, we appreciate that you've been there since the very beginning, even when things go wrong, like jackhammers and You've been so supportive to all of our writers, and we just, we really appreciate you. So thank you. You're very welcome. I'm thrilled. (laughs) And our other special guest, Sierra, along with Mike Chen, actually built the first manuscriptwishlist.com site that made it possible for agents to update their own profiles. This was a huge step for us because before that, people would just email me with, hey, can you move this comma? And as you can imagine, that got to be a big thing. So we never would have been able to grow were it not for Sierra and Mike's generosity. So please, everyone, thanks, Sierra. That was really important and a big reason so much of what exists now does exist. And I'm so happy that the two of you have a book coming out. Sierra's book, A Very Typical Family, out September 13th. Thank you both so much for being here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Melissa, why don't you tell us what you're looking for in in their inbox? What am I looking for? I am looking for more adult commercial and upmarket fiction and specifically uh, women's fiction or the artist formerly known as women's fiction and thrillers and mysteries. I've been loving cozy mysteries recently. Like I can eat them up, particularly with an unusual spin, so something that hasn't necessarily been done a hundred times before, but still relies on tropes that people really love in those spaces. And anything that really keeps my attention. There's so, obviously, there's so much competing for our attention all the time. Books aren't really competing with other books necessarily. They're competing with podcasts and with television and with movies and just the endless amount of streaming content that is available to us at all times. So anytime a book can keep my attention and make me want to stick with it, that's how I know it feels feels special and feels like something I want to put my time behind. So Sarah, tell us about The Call of Melissa. How did you know that Melissa was the right agent for you? Obviously. <laughs> Let's hear your story. The Call was fun. I think she was sussing me out a little bit to see if I was amenable to making some revisions that she had envisioned when she read the full manuscript, which I... The question about knowing if she was the right agent is one that's changed over time. First, I was really excited that she was into my manuscript. And I was saying a little bit about this earlier, but I have the Manuscript Wishlist Academy to thank for meeting her because back in 2018, I had a consultation with her. I think it was 10 minutes with an expert and she read the first page of the novel that I was querying at that time. 
And she asked if it was available. And at that time, I had just begun engaging on an R&R, which is a revision for an agent that I would go on to sign with. Um, so it wasn't yet meant to be with Melissa, but fast forward a year or so, and that agent, my first agent, left the business. And I had asked her, who do you have any recommendations for me to find new representation with? And Melissa was one of the people she recommended. So I queried Melissa and she requested uh, my manuscript right away. And I think it was a little bit of knowing She'd been interested in my work before as well as when I queried her again that did it for me. But going back to the way that my assessment has changed of knowing how an agent's right for you, now that I have a little bit of time invested with Melissa, I think two years probably, in experience in selling books with her, I know that she's an incredible advocate for her clients. She'll ask the hard questions that you might want to know from an editor or publisher, but you don't want to ask. (laughs) And most especially, she's incredible with contracts and with looking out for my rights. And that's not something you always can know going into an agent call or anything, but that has been incredibly valuable for me and for long term. So that's fantastic. Can you help out some of the people in the audience who are, of course, wondering what in the world to ask to make sure they get someone like Melissa? That's a great question. I Googled, of course, you know, what to ask an agent on the call and um, they are hearing what they like about your book. For that call, I think it was a lot of talking about whether I was comfortable with the revision she was asking and talking through those. And I was. And for me, Being asked to make a lot of revisions is definitely something that I'm hearing and I'm listening to. And are they way out of alignment with what I want to do with the book? They weren't. They were totally in alignment. So that that hit really well for me. For Melissa, probably the other side of that. Was I willing to work hard for this? And would I be an appropriate (laughs) client? (laughs) What appropriate client means. One that is willing to put in some work if needed. (laughs) So tell us about a very typical family. First, I love the title so much because obviously it's probably not about a typical family. (laughs) It's not a typical family. (laughs) Yeah. So it's set in Santa Cruz, California, which is my background. And it's a story about siblings and the hurt that we cause in our family units and ultimately about our concept of home. And it's about the way that we choose as adults to have relationships with family members, which is a really interesting thing I wanted to explore. Do we maintain those relationships because of blood or do we choose to have friendships as adults with our siblings? So it follows Natalie, who's 32. And when she was 18, she got her older brother and sister sent to prison after a messy night of chaos. And this fractures the family and she hasn't been in contact with, at all with her siblings since. And now as the novel starts, her mother has passed away and left the family house to the three siblings. But the catch is they all have to be there in person to inherit it. So it's about them coming together and what happens after mm-hmm. that. That's terrific. I can't wait to read it. Oh, it's so good. You're going to love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you. That's super exciting. Can you talk a little bit about some of the revision process or is that too personal to ask what kind of revisions you were talking about? I actually don't remember. (laughs) It's been a while ago. I don't remember, but I think that it was a few plot elements. And one of the things that I have a hard time with is conflict, writing conflict, because I'm conflict. (laughs) So 
I think some of it was Melissa saying, give us some conflict in these key areas. And yeah, I can't really remember. <laughs> uh, do you remember? I'm trying to remember. I think we were working out some of the, ironically, some of the legal details of yeah. like a home being left to a family and what that would mean in California. And I guess I'm a bit of a linear reader and I like knowing that the plot all makes sense. And I really like plot. Which is why I tend toward commercial fiction and as opposed to like really a, a literary fiction where it's less about plot. I, I love a good plot. And the kernels of great plot were there. They just needed to be hooked together a little bit. And and obviously Sierra made it work. And that was what made it feel so saleable. Mm. Melissa, tell us what qualities you look for in clients. So this is challenging because obviously everyone's different and the expectations they have of their careers are different and their expectations of what they're looking for in an agent are different. But one of the things that drew me to Sierra is exactly what she was saying is that she was willing to be open to revisions. I think writing in a silo for all those years can become tunnel vision. So it's like my, this is my book. This is my art and it's hard to adapt once other opinions come into play. And the knowledge that someone is willing to appreciate publishing and as a team sport is one of the big questions that I ask. How comfortable are you with other people's opinions and how comfortable are you adapting? One of the qualities I look for in clients in general is about me <laughs> because I'm not the softest, fuzziest agent. That is, if someone wants a best friend, I'm probably not it. So if they are comfortable with that, then they will be comfortable or excited about me. But if they want someone who's like soft and squishy and comforting, there are definitely agents who do that really well. But that's, that wouldn't be me. Have your side. <laughs> I know. I was saying that. I was thinking that. I was like, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're just a big love for us. Oh, thank you. But you are a straight shooter, though. That sometimes... That's not such a great thing. Like I get in trouble because I say things a little too directly and then people get upset. And understandably, there's different types of people for everyone. So I guess in the clients I'm looking to sign are looking for a business-minded agent who are willing to work together to try and make the most saleable book and have long, successful careers with many books and and who can be forward-thinking about what this business means and the highs and lows that are involved in publishing. To add to that, I would say that reminds me that definitely an agent who would be with me for as long as I wanted to have a career was certainly on my mind when we had that call. I wasn't, I don't know. I don't know if agents say, oh, this is just one book and let's see how it goes. Maybe some do, but that was important to me that she would be with me throughout the the length of my career and invested in different types of things I might. Yeah, that was really important. And the other part of that too is, and I, this again is one of those things that's hard to know when you have a call. You want your agent to know the market really well. Does she have a good handle on what's commercially out there? How will my manuscript compete with what's out there? You know, what editors are interested at the moment in certain things. And I've never had any doubt that Melissa has a really good feel for the whole industry. She re reads very widely and. She knows her books. I guess you could ask an agent that on a call. 
I'm a little curious about this squishiness index. Can, anyone, <laughs> can everyone in the chat say one to 10 how squishy you expect most agents to be? Like one being completely squishy, 10 being like terrifying. Because I don't think anyone, oh, we've got a two from Sita. I like that. Lots of squish. We've got a 10 from Rachel, four from Laura, five from Dina, six from Christy. Everyone's all over the map. I like this. We can average them together later. I like this because I'm genuinely curious how squishy everyone expects agents to be. Because some people are like, I want that shark's going to go after and they're going to aggressively market my book. And then there are some people who are like, I just need the support and creativity to get me through this really tough thing. So I, I appreciate that you all are over the board. Melissa, if someone asked you how squishy you <laughs> were, would you be annoyed? <laughs> or do you think that's a smart question? I don't think I would be annoyed. I think it w- would be a reasonable question. And it, wait, is zero the least squishy, like, good <laughs> board? No, like, like one like, is most squishy, 10 is, like, brick wall. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So one is most and 10 is ten is the wall. I'm not, like, a robot, but I think probably more like seven because, like, how much weight we carry as agents. Like, we're carrying multiple people's stress on our back at all times. and if we absorb all of it and just keep taking it in and keep taking it in, we will lose the ability, in my opinion, obviously everyone does things differently, but we lose the ability to have any strengths for anyone if we just keep bearing more and more. So at some times we just have to be a little bit more direct and not necessarily the softest, squishiest beings possible. But again, everyone does things differently. And I think it's often easier for people to be closer to the brick wall side of things on someone else's behalf and then be like totally squishy in their own day-to-day life. I think that's one of those interesting personality quirks of agents is that it's often easier to do things like that for other people. Great. I think some of the comments here are terrific. I want someone who will help me build a career, solid advice versus a cheerleader who isn't direct with me about my work. And we certainly hear that sometimes Manuscript Academy, we do ask you how direct you would like it. But when someone's super squishy, people will say something, I'm not sure I got my money's worth. They were too nice about my work. So it's a funny thing, right? I think I'm looking at the averages. I think it is about a five, like maybe a 5.5 where, you know, it's, there is that line. And I think direct communication is the most important thing. And that sounds what, Melissa and Sarah, it sounds like you guys have that. There's a real feeling with just the two of you just before we were all chatting. You guys know each other. There's a direct line of communication, what you want from each other. Am I off the mark there? Is that pretty much how your relationship sums up? Yeah, it takes time to build a relationship, any kind of relationship, whether it's personal or business with somebody. And I think two years in, we've gotten to, yeah, I think we've gotten to a good place. And I, yeah, I think it does take time, but it's, I, I think that it's important to remember that agents get a lot of queries. They get a lot of writers and they see a ton of material. Like the amount boggles my mind. I can't even imagine what the real amount is. Maybe she's not squishy every time or an agent in general isn't squishy every time. But the fact that she signed me, the fact that she said, this is a book I like it carries a lot more weight than saying it over and over, if that makes sense, because I know that she sees a ton. <laughs> so, 
anytime I'm feeling like, oh God, my book is long, I just think, okay, but I am where I am and it's great. And I'm lucky to be here and I'm very grateful. Yeah, it's me. And then it was an editor and then it was an editor's team. And then, right. And so it's a lot of people. And then out there in the world, it will be a lot of people. It's hard yeah. sometimes to play the comparison game, but a lot of people had to say yes for a book to be published. Mm. I think we should probably get off this question, but it's such an interesting conversation. And I think if you're listening, like taking the time to really figure out the type of ways you need to get your information, I think that would solve a lot of problems as we move through this process. It's interesting. Sierra, can you talk about some of the things you learned during the submissions process? Because you obviously did it right. It worked out. Uh, it's a really hard thing to do, and it worked out great for you. So what can you tell the people out there about things you've learned and things you wish you'd known at the time? Submission to publishers, you mean? Both, actually. I was thinking when you're sending stuff to agents, but... Gosh, when I'm sending... It's been a little while. Don't stop. You have to have a really thick skin in this business because if you're rejected by a lot of agents while you're querying, you're going to be rejected some more when you go on sub to publishers and editors. And it's not perfect small. It's just, it's business is what it is. And I don't know how to put it any more simply than that, but you really do have to have a thick skin and you have to be a little pragmatic about it. And I think that you hear some writers going, oh, the submission process or even the querying process, or actually specifically with submission process, it's really hard to get a rejection from a, from an editor who's passed on your manuscript especially when they go, oh, I'm so excited to read this. Thanks for sending it to me. And then they're like, yeah, not for me. And if you get upset about each one of those, you're going to spend a lot of time being upset. And I don't want to spend a lot of time being upset. This is a really amazing place to be. And don't stop. If you stop, you won't get to where you want to be. All of the authors who've been published, they didn't stop. They've all been rejected tons, but they didn't stop. So you have to keep it all in perspective. And that's a really hard thing. It's not, it's easy for me to say that and it's much harder to do it in practice, but that is something I think I've honed over the years is just keep it in perspective. What advice do both of you have for writers? That, don't stop. If you truly love writing, then you're going to keep writing. It took me a long time. It took me years and years. And there were times when I was like, I'm done. But that's just kicking myself down because uh, that's just making myself stop. And um, I wasn't done because I love writing and I love telling stories. So I probably will never be done. I hope I'm never done. My advice would probably be twofold. One, read. Read as much as you can. You can go to the library. If you're not reading in your genre or in the space that you want to publish in, then you don't know what is being published. And if you're not reading recent titles, then again, you're not aware of what's being published and no one's saying that your book has to align with what is out there, but you can't even know if it doesn't align with what is out there if you're not reading, which I hope people do anyway. And also I'm a library reader, so it doesn't cost a lot of money. In fact, it costs no money and there's no judgment in being a library reader, but I'm cheap. The, <laughs> the other thing is comparison is the thief of joy. So that's probably for writers who... Yeah are watching their friends get agented or are agented and watching their friends go on submission or on submission and watching their friends get book deals or having book deals and then watching their friends get a New York Times review or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It will never end. Like, it never end. I made, <laughs> never. like 
I made it. I have an agent. No, you're not there yet. There's always another step. There's always more disappointment and more ups and downs and highs and lows and great feelings and terrible feelings. But everyone around you is on a different course and at a different speed. And it will drive you to madness being obsessed with what the person next to you is getting. And it just, there are authors on my list who their life goal was to see their book in BNN or to see their book in a bookstore and they finally get it, but it's not as many copies as the book, like a book that was published on the same day or a book by someone else they know, or the, like it's not on an end cap or it's not face out and it will ruin this thing that you've loved for so long or this experience that you've been waiting for so long, it will destroy it. And I understand it completely. Of course, I feel the same way we all do in our careers. It's impossible not to, but focusing on the joy and the success and the fact that you've gotten this far and that it's so rare, hopefully will help help the writer remember that this is actually really special. Yeah, I can't agree more with that. And in fact, last night I was thinking, oh my gosh, with my book being released in a little under three weeks, what am I expecting to see happen? Do I, like, <laughs> it's almost like nothing less than a bullet surprise would hit at this point, which is insane and ridiculous. And it, you can't, and then social media exacerbates it, right? Because if you don't see your book all over Instagram, you think you're a failure. That's just one tiny piece and it means nothing. And it's great, but yes. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Comparison is the peak of joy. And that is something that no matter where you are, we struggle with. No matter where you, you've published a hundred books, you're struggling with it. And it's that's crazy, but it's true. I every day struggle with that. <laughs> it's very human, but unfortunately it's also... It, a problem for every book forever. Yeah. And for agents too, sometimes. Yeah. What do you mean? Not every book is a New York Times bestseller. Ah, there's always that panic. But yeah. I think something is so interesting here because we are seeing this all work out. We're seeing happy ending book coming out. Super excited. I'm seeing the cover places. They say you need to see it multiple times to recognize that you're seeing it. So mm-hmm. I take that as a great sign. But Sierra, it sounds like you didn't always know this was going to work out. And I think a lot of people have the feeling that if it's going to work out, they know the whole time and it's not something they ever doubt. So I guess it just, I think that's a good example for everybody that like, even if it's hard, it can still get to this point where everything is. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. And I took a longer meandering path to this. This book was a totally different book four years ago. And then I, I rewrote it and, and got closer and more time went by. And yeah, it, this is not my first manuscript by <laughs> any stretch. I have been at this game a really long time, probably for 10 years. Part of that time, I had a baby, which messed with my sleep and made several years go by. Life happens. And it's and then you hear stories like, oh, he wrote a bit, book in the pandemic. It was snapped right up, sold right away, and now it's a New York Times bestseller. That's great. That's not everybody's path. But the same result is there. We're having books published. So, yeah. <laughs> Sierra, would you read us your first page? Okay. Now, I have not read my first page aloud before. Wait, are we your so first event? I stumbled. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Chapter one. Natalie Walker was in danger of being late to work on what was possibly the biggest day of her career. 
First, there was the previously undiscovered stain on the cardigan blouse ensemble that was her power wear. She wasn't sure of the stain's origin, but suspected spaghetti sauce from two nights ago when she had attempted to cook. It was too late to change, and dabbing at it only seemed to have made it worse. Then she knocked over the jar, housing a tiger swallowtail butterfly that served as a subject for sketching that she kept on the windowsill in the bathroom, sending the poor thing, wings blurring, skittering under the radiator. It survived. She was almost out of the apartment when the mail carrier shoved a wad of mail through the flap in the door. Natalie would normally leave the letters on the mat, but the wedge of envelopes stuck in the flap. She pulled at the stack, falling backward as they released, sending the mail splaying all over the floor around her. There were a worrying number of bills and one other envelope. It was addressed to her from a law office in her hometown. The sender was someone with Esquire after their name, which she knew meant lawyer, and that was undoubtedly bad if it was coming all the way from Santa Cruz, California. Mm. I forgot your inciting incidents on the first page. Yeah. I love how we have a sense of character, yeah, the art, the outfit, and then that sense of her uncertainty as she's like going through. You make her me feel like she is not totally like together, but like really tries. I don't know if that, I don't know if yeah. that, I got out of that first page. Yeah, Melissa, so. how do you feel about inciting incidents on the first page? Great. Like, you know, sometimes you use first sentences and you know that the there's a dead body in the first sentence. It's like, a, the sooner we can get plot going and people being excited about something happening in their lives that shake things up. The, the easier I feel to dive, the easier I dive right in because I know that something exciting is happening, good, bad, or indifferent. Okay, so we have a couple of questions. This writer says, I received a request for my whole manuscript after querying a literary agent. I queried her at 11 p.m. and received her message before six in the morning. I sent my manuscript to her that same evening. Now it's been three weeks and I haven't heard back. Does that mean the agent decided she's not interested in my work? Thank you for letting me ask this question. No, of course not. The fact that they and they requested in the middle of the night, like you never know what someone's life is. Maybe they loaded it on their Kindle to take on vacation and are reading it while they're away and then they're going to come back or I don't know, maybe they then got like a bronchitis and have been laid out and then we'll read. Three weeks is still not a lot of time. That doesn't mean that they're over you, which is great that they were so responsive to your query. Now you get to give them a little wiggle room. Does anyone actually get back to anyone in three weeks anymore? Because <laughs> I, I don't think I know anyone who's, yes, everyone gets a response in three weeks. It's either like 24 hours or six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I notice things are taking long, you know, contracts are taking a long time. Editors are taking a long time. Everything's just taking a long time. Everyone's overwhelmed. A lot of offices are understaffed. Like that agent, for all we know, is chasing down contracts or something like that. I don't think three weeks is anywhere close enough time to worry. Maybe at six months, I would worry. Agree. Here is from a nonfiction author. In my author bio, should I cite the titles of nonfiction books I have authored that are related to my day job? If they are for a very small or niche market, should I leave off the titles so an agent doesn't look them up and see small sales numbers? So this is a nonfiction author who would be presumably writing outside of their day job? I'm yeah. 
I don't know, maybe you don't have to provide the titles, but you can say that you're previously published. But I don't think niche track is going to hinder your ability to be published by a trade publisher. If you've been published by, I don't know, like experts publisher and you're an autism expert and you've only sold, I don't know, a thousand copies because their whole print run is a thousand copies. I don't think that's going to hurt. Okay. We've got a question. Hi there. I'm curious about, so I'm in the middle of querying right now and it's like such a soul sucking process. And I know fit is so important because you guys have to love the book to sell it. You have to read it a million times as you're going over it. But why is it so paramount with that querying manuscript since you don't really know what the author is going to write in the future? And so if you have a good manuscript with good writing, but it's not, oh my gosh, it's hit you over the head, like beautiful, perfect or something like that. Like how come, I don't know, like I just, I'm not phrasing this very eloquently. Am I making sense? Why is that so important in that first manuscript when it may not be like the author could write anything for the future books? Yeah, I think it's the writing style and ability and voice. And I'm not going to write everything the same, but I'm probably going to stay within the same genre. But I know Melissa has clients who are writing in different genres and have sold books in different genres. But there's probably an ability and tone that carries through the different genres. I know that I sent her some pitches for my second book and I'm just like, how about this? And, or how about this? And she'd be like, this is not, this is a different genre, which is okay. You want to write in that, but that's that genre. And I'd be like, no, that's not right. And so she's supportive of whatever that genre is, but it's really, I think it's the ability that she's seeing. That's my take. Definitely. And also if it's a two book deal, then the second book on that contract has to align in the same space as the first generally. So if you sell upmarket women or upmarket fiction or upmarket women's fiction. The second book generally can't be a, I don't know, an assassin thriller unless things are wild. But in regard to the question of fit for that first book, the first book is the, the first book is your debut. It's the, it's special in that way. So the submission of a debut requires a lot of work on my part or on Jessica's part. So we go through that manuscript a lot of times to get it as saleable and strong as possible. Because once a, once books are under contract, it, it becomes the editor's job. So a second book on a contract, I read it for fun. I don't read it for editing purposes or the option material later. And so that'll be us going through topics and concepts and pitches, and then maybe scrubbing up a hundred pages. But it's generally that first book that we're going to be working together one-on-one for the longest and has the greatest amount of risk because obviously we're not making money until we sell it. So all of that time, all of those hours are investments that we're hoping lead to some way for us to eat. Can you give us an example of the amount of hours that you can spend on a debut? Oh boy. The range, I don't know. maybe. What do you think the range is from like a couple hours to like, to where's the range? Like with a 350 page manuscript, if you go through it three times, you're looking at, I don't know, 15 hours of your life, 15 hours of work, 20 hours of work. And not that's like the author's hours are innumerable. It's just, it's a lot of unpaid work that we're hoping eventually becomes paid work, but there's no guarantee. I love that you say three rounds. I definitely have done eight or 12. Oh. Yeah. You're looking at 60 hours of hope and faith there. 
because spread out over time. Spread yeah. out sometimes over years. Sometimes you don't sell the first couple of books for somebody. So you keep putting right. that effort in and each one takes a lot of rounds and then finally you sell one and it, it gets a lot easier. Option books are generally a lot easier. That's why this conversation is so important. People are like, why aren't why aren't people getting back to us? Or why is this taking so long? And that's why once you get that agent, you want to be treated like this. You want to have that support. And it's really complicated and interesting, I think, just to understand the process. Well, and also in terms of fit, it's not just the editing part. It's also the relationships we tend to foster with editors because we like similar things. So I think that's a huge component of it, too. We want to make sure that it's something that we it's an area we feel comfortable enough in that we naturally attract those editors, naturally have relationships with those editors versus it is a little bit more legwork up front to build that network from scratch if it's an area that we're not usually working in. Yeah. And to give some specifics on the the amount of editing for that debut, I, it was my impression that Melissa did not want, she wanted to close the gap on reasons an editor might pass on the manuscript. So she wanted it as tight as she possibly could get it for that reason. It's her job is to sell it. It was really about that. Whereas, as she said, on option books, it's already sold and books in a contract are, they're already sold. Yeah. Our job is to get something as close to something an editor can get past their ed board yeah. without people saying X, Y, and Z are problems. So Editors often want to put their spin on the editorial of a book, and that's great. But it needs to be clean enough that they're not going to have naysayers in the room. And sometimes the no's are for things we can't control. Like they recently did a book that didn't work about about the circus. And so they're never going to do a book about the circus again. And I can't know that. We can't know. That's out of our control. But we can control making sure that it's a tight product. Mm -hmm. And then hope for the best. Yeah, you can sometimes guess why something's going to get rejected. Like you can sometimes guess, okay, this is going to be a point of friction for some ed boards, but other ed boards are going to love it for this. Christy, why don't you come on down and ask your question? Hi. Well, thanks for being here. This is super fun and super interesting. I'm also a Canadian writer, just for context. I was just wondering about trends in the market. I wrote the book that was in me. It took me quite a long time to write, but I've enjoyed it. It's been a fantastic process for me. But now that I'm querying, I'm noticing, and in part, people are talking about the conversation is around uh, people not wanting to read heavy material and wanting to just read rom-coms. So I write YA and I'm noting a lot of, I'm noticing a lot of manuscript wish lists are asking for rom-coms and light material. And mine's not unlight, but my character does have things she goes through. It's time travel and coming of age. So I'm just wondering about what you have to say about trends in the market. I think light and fluffy had its moment and... Maybe we'll still continue, but the number one best-selling author in this country writes dark, angsty, depressive, like super intense romance, <laughs> and which is not to say it's for children, but it was published as New Adult back when New Adult was a thing. So you never know what's coming and people's opinions, are, like people's wants will change, but there is, a, I think there was an eye-opening experience in the past year of the realization that A, new adult does still exist because look, look at the Colleen Hoover fans and people want intense, dramatic and like hardcore feelings. 
And especially the book talkers, they just want, they want to get in their feelings. They want to be destroyed. And that's why they keep reading those books and like their millions upon millions of copies have been sold. I also think that it's not necessarily light, fluffy, cotton candy escapism that people want. I think sometimes getting yourself into a thriller where you can be worried about that instead of the state of the world for a while is a lovely escape, too. So I think there are many ways of doing that. I think you just need to write a book that has an emotional gravitational force that can take us out of a real world and put us really focused on what's happening in your world, too. Thank you. There's a couple of books on Melissa's client list that do that so beautifully. One is by Ashley Winstead, The Last Housewife. So good. It's a thriller. It is intense. It is incredible. And then the other one is Yasmin Ango's Nina Knight series. She's got her second one publishing, I think actually the day mine comes out, which is unbelievable thriller, fast trade, just excellent. And both of those really fit in with that, just escapism. Thank um, you. Good. Thank you for those, for, for that little shout out. I appreciate it. And you're very much right. But also read the read the trigger warnings. They're intense. Yeah. My mom just finished her name's night while we were away. And she was like, how did that nice woman write all these intense horrible <laughs> fiction, mom? You should read some. <laughs> Same with Ashley. I was like, I don't know what it took that from you to put that out, but wow, that's a brave, it was brave of her to write it. Very intense. Yeah. I used to do this something with Mike when I was teaching and I would put authors headshots and then have them guess the genre. <laughs> because you know, if it's in you, it's in you. If it's yeah. in that story is in you and that story is called, are you going to leave that story on the table and look for what someone on MSWL is looking for? You have to write the story that's in you. You can't help it. It is what it is. Like it is, it's art. <laughs> like it's a story needs to get out somehow to get it on the page. Yeah. And both those clients, Yasmin and Ashley, they're the nicest people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine a dinner party with Melissa's clients would be pretty fun though. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are all friends, really good friends. And it's, yeah, we... <laughs> Wait, it's a good group. How does that work? Are you all like in a Slack together or? I'm not. They are. I'm not supposed to say because it's like fight club. <laughs> I was going to say it sounds squishy. <laughs> it's really squishy. Just, it's a supportive. It's a supportive group and uh, incredible friendships have been made. And yeah, we're, we share a unique experience. And I would say that any writer or author or little signs of an agent, talk to the other clients. And get to know them because you all are in a very unique group. There's no, no comparisons. You can't say, oh, this is happening. This is not happening. But it's just you're all in a really incredibly special <laughs> group. And uh, yeah, the, we're, the friendships are incredible there. It's like Stockholm Syndrome. And I'm the <laughs> actor. At <laughs> least <laughs> it helps them. We'll be together. No. Amy has a question about the artist formerly known as women's fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I love this question, by the way. I was hoping you'd pick it. I will never stop being salty that there is no such thing as men's fiction. So the name women's fiction as a genre just bugs me. And if there's a new name, I haven't seen it. And it's what I write. So I'd love to know. It's called on published. Well, on Publishers Marketplace, they 
changed the name or they got rid of the designation of women's fiction because for many years they were combining women's fiction and romance, which are not the same things, but they just got rid of women's fiction altogether and now call it commercial fiction or contemporary fiction. I forget, which I don't know if if that's necessarily beneficial because women's fiction is a different thing because it has different genre expectations, but it is all sort of amorphous. I feel like it's a discussion the industry has been slowly having over the past decade or 10, 15 years. There were definitely people talking about how if you have the same book and if it's written by women's fiction, if it's written by a man, it's literary fiction. And I think that's something that we've known that's a problem. We don't know quite what to do with it. But then, like Melissa said, there are those genre expectations of a focus on relationships, a focus on internal conflict. I don't know what we're going to do with that and in going into the future, but I think it's interesting. It's a really interesting discussion. And I seem to remember a feud between two authors and a I'm not at his book party at BEA one year. Do you remember that, Melissa? Because there was like a whole fight that was like, he was saying, oh, she's just women's fiction. And she's saying, oh, it would be women's fiction if he was a woman. And then, yeah, it, it got delightfully petty. I, think <laughs> I just checked Sierra's bisect codes on Amazon and you are technically being called contemporary women's fiction. But it, it, this is completely an example where it is Upmarket fiction is women's fiction. It is general fiction. It is a choose-your-own-adventure story for the genre of this book. Yeah, and I think if you go into a bookstore, right, where are they going to shelve it? General fiction. Yes, Paige, you would think we'd be beyond all that in 2022. Amazingly, publishing still has quite a bit of work to do. Dina has a question about authors who are not in the United States. Come on down. First of all, I'd just like to say that I love Melissa's answer to Christie's question in particular. All the answers are great, but it was awesome. So my question was about the fact that I would like my current novel that I'm querying or plan to start querying in September, really, to be published both in an American publishing market, but also in a European one, because there are historical aspects that take place in Europe. So I'm curious how difficult Melissa thinks it is to get an American agent when you're a Canadian and would also like to see European publishing as it's a concern. I think I mentioned I I got a partial request this week, which was very exciting by an American agent. (laughs) But but I am I do find that like it's concerning. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, Melissa and Jessica, too. Please feel free to chime in. First of all, that's great. I'm so excited for you. Second of all, about Canadian, there are, I have a couple of Canadian authors on my list and their books take place in Canada. Sometimes American editors are reticent to publish books that take place in Canada. But then if you look at Every Summer After by Carly Fortune, like huge, massive bestseller, takes place in on a lake in Canada. So those editors are clearly misguided. And... You don't need two different agents necessarily. What you're thinking about is sub rights. So when a book sells in the United States or in Canada, the foreign rights associated with that book would either be handled by your agent or by the publisher and then are sold to be published abroad. If your book has foreign elements, there is a world in which foreign publishers will be really excited about that 
Because when a book is really American, like really American, especially in children's, there's just no correlation between like that light locker high school experience in Europe. So that sometimes it's hard to sell. But if there's foreign elements in your book already, then maybe those foreign countries would be excited to buy it. So you can't really control it. But publishers and agents are always sending our books out to foreign agents to then submit in their local territories so they can be sold in foreign territories. Wow, that's a lot of info. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. And Welcome. Yeah. A lot to think about. Thank you. The bottom line is don't worry about it. Just query. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think at this point, this is probably one of the best times in history to be somewhere other than the United States and writing a book. Wherever you are, we have the technology to chat with you. So that'll work out. All right. Sierra, what's coming up for you in terms of promo? Is there anything we can tag along to event-wise that you'll be doing? Gosh, I have an exciting book launch happening at a book bookstore. You're going to be in a major newspaper. Yes. I have an article with San Francisco Chronicle coming out. And That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm seeing my book appear on a couple fall reading lists, which is really exciting. Hey, Wait, what's your article? You wrote an article? When's that going to come no, they interviewed me. <laughs> what like, was that like? It was incredible. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like everything you wanted it to be. It was by Zoom and it was just really great. Awesome. writer had read my book and oh, yeah, it was everything. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Will you let us know when that's out so we can yeah. link to it and be happy for you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting lots of love in the chat, too. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Congratulations, Sarah and Melissa. I'm so excited to see where this project goes, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to see good things happening for you both. It's really well-deserved. Thank you, too. Aww. Great. Have a great writing day, everyone. Enjoy your final days in summer. And we hope to see you very soon. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.